Hello, welcome to Plant Crimes. I am Ellen Earhart. And uh, this episode deals explicitly with the death of humans, not just plants. So listen at your discretion. Diatoms are tiny little microalgaes found basically everywhere there's water. You should know about diatoms primarily because your life depends on them since they make up half the Earth's oxygen. But today we're talking about them for a different reason. Unlike other algae, diatoms have a hard cell wall made of silica, kind of like your iPhone. Because of their relative indestructibility, they're invaluable in forensic science. Usually when someone finds a body in water, you can't tell whether that person drowned on the spot or someone else killed them in a different location and then dragged them into the water. Unless there's diatoms in their organs and bone marrow. That's a pretty good sign they drowned. And the lack of diatoms in their body means they probably didn't die in the water, though this rule is not completely foolproof. I emailed with a retired professor from Belgium, Dr. Michel Piet, who performed over 3,000 forensic exams from 1979 to 2015. He once consulted on a case in which a young woman was found in her car in a canal. Her body was already pretty far gone in terms of decay, and no one could find any cause of death. But Piet couldn't find any diatoms in her bone marrow, and then the woman's boyfriend confessed to smothering her and then pulling her body into the canal. So what's the secret to these tiny, indestructible plants? What gives them the ability to communicate so much? Kirsty Scott, senior lecturer at Liverpool John Moores University, can explain. The reason why people tend to focus on diatoms in forensic casework is because they have this chemically resistant silica cell wall. And what that resistant silica cell wall does is it preserves the kind of shape and the morphology of the individual diatom. So that silica cell wall can withstand hundreds of thousands of years worth of climate change and things like that, which is why diatoms are used to reconstruct land use and climate change and environmental change more generally, I suppose. So from a forensic point of view, that's really useful to us because we have to use quite harsh acids to obviously digest human tissues. So we need to have a marker that can withstand those acids in drowning cases or those acids we might be using to prepare clothing samples from a trace evidence point of view. We need the particles that we're looking at to survive those acids and diatoms are the only group of algae that would survive those conditions basically. So in some cases we might find other resistant types of algae as well. So things like dinoflagellates or um, silicoflagellates. There have been a few research cases where people have experimented with the method and analysed water traces in drowning cases. So they've taken away the digestion acids that we would typically use. These include things like hydrogen peroxide or sulfuric acid and they've replaced those with enzymatic methods. And what the enzymes will do, they'll preserve a little bit more of the botanical material, the plant material that we're interested in, obviously diatom, green algae, and other types of things like that, but they won't preserve everything. So some of those studies have identified other groups of algae as well, but diatoms typically are the ones that are frequently used because of the silica cell wall, because they're abundant in lots of places, and also because there are more species that we can use to individualize an environment. 
The first record of diatoms in lung fluid that I could find evidence of was written by E. Hoffman in the textbook of legal medicine in the late 1800s. I found some mentions of a guy named Robinsdorf using them to solve crimes as early as 1904, during peak Sherlock Holmes years, too bad Sir Arthur Conan Doyle apparently didn't hear about it. In the 1940s, scientists discovered diatoms in the blood, organs, and eventually bone marrow. And in the 1960s and 70s, the technique took off in forensics. Scott's research focuses more on studying how diatoms can be traced as they move from place to place, rather than how they exist in a person's body right before and after they die. Here's an example of a case where that technique really came in handy. My old supervisor, he was involved in different forms of analysis and different cases. So one example that I could give to you involved the murder of a, a woman in the UK in the early 2000s, I think it was. She was found dead in a river and some clothing and some footwear was found about 12 miles away from the, the body recovery site. And pathologists determined that she hadn't died from drowning, she died from strangulation and then she'd been placed in the water afterwards. Obviously that clothing and that footwear was really important to determine whether or not it was linked to that crime. Meanwhile, the other side of the investigation was looking into the background of the victim, obviously identified her husband, and they found that her husband had taken out a life insurance policy against her a few days before she'd been found deceased. They identified the clothing and the footwear as belonging to the husband, who obviously was a suspect at this point, and diatom analysis was done on that clothing and that footwear. And they compared it to lots of different sites. So they compared it to diatoms from upstream of where the body was found. They compared it to diatoms from downstream to where the body was found, uh, from the nearby soil, and obviously from crime scene itself. And what was really interesting in that case is that they couldn't exclude the clothing from the crime scene. So it was really strong circumstantial evidence, not only to show, obviously, the motive uh, was shown through the life insurance policy, but the actual intent was shown through the diatom analysis based on his presence at the crime scene. Yeah, classic mistake to take out a huge life insurance <laughs> yes. policy. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was the, the smartest move. Diatom researchers are a rare species. I could only find a handful in the world. Here's how Scott got into the business. How I came to diatom analysis myself was less from the pathology perspective and more from the trace evidence perspective. So diatoms are abundant in all of the different environments that we might inhabit. And lots of those environments obviously visited during, after a crime has been committed. We might dispose of bodies in water or we might dispose of evidence in water. We might retrieve different types of evidence from water or from different soil environments. And all of these places contain microscopic diatom communities. So what I'm interested in doing is trying to see if I can collect those diatoms from clothing or from footwear, from any evidential surfaces that aren't human tissues, to see if we can compare them back to a crime scene or an evidence recovery site or a body recovery site to determine whether or not we can put people at the scene, so to speak. So can we use diatoms to link people with those environments based on their transfer as forensic evidence? and their persistence as forensic evidence over time. So lots of potential questions and lots of research has kind of been advanced within that area in the last few years. An example of a, of a recent study uh, that I did was looking at this diatom transfer from water environments, so from freshwater, for example, so things like rivers, lakes, ponds, 
We know that they transfer to clothing because we've shown that in the previous research, but what we were interested to find out is, do they transfer to all different types of clothing items in the same way? Are there some clothing fabrics that are better traps, for example, for diatoms, or there's some that are worse than others? And obviously that would, that would direct what we can do in a forensic inquiry. So the results from that kind of highlighted that some clothing items were better than others. There's a significant difference. So cotton clothing, linen clothing, denim clothing, all really good collectors of diatoms from the environment. Other clothing items such as nylon, it was actually a waterproof nylon jacket that we used. PVC, so an alternative to leather, these surfaces were, were less effective. So if we apprehended a suspect and they were wearing waterproof trousers, for example, we might not expect there to be as many diatoms on their clothing as somebody that was wearing denim jeans. We're interested in looking at these different variables, as well as lots of others. So some of their examples include the time of year. So diatoms are, are very seasonal. We tend to find more diatoms in the spring versus the winter. So we've done some studies where we can look at how diatoms behave as forensic evidence in the spring and the winter. So are they better indicators of forensic transfer at certain times of year compared to others? We've looked at how they transfer to different footwear items, so different materials on footwear. We've looked at diatoms from different environments as well, so soil diatoms and marine diatoms. Something that I'm developing at the moment, which is really interesting, is a different kind of analytical approach to diatom analysis. So we typically use microscopes, we typically use harsh chemicals to analyse diatoms in forensic cases, including in the research. And these often destroy other types of evidence that might be present. So things like pollen, which can still be really useful, or green algae. We're still interested in those things. So we're trying to develop new, much quicker and much more sensitive methods, which involve DNA sequencing, part of the diatom genome, to see if we can use the molecular protocols as a much better tool for comparison analysis compared to microscopy. So that's another thing that's kind of picking up in the research literature. Uh, not just within trace evidence analysis, but within forensic pathology as well. So just to make sure I understand this on a very basic level, so if someone stepped in like a lake and they got water on their genes, you might be able to analyze their genes and tell which lake they stepped in? Yes, yes. So that's the, the concept that we're trying to develop, yes. So can we place them at the exact lake? That obviously is difficult because diatoms are circumstantial. They're not 100% match. We've got to interpret them with caution. But we could be able to kind of say yes or no at what type of environment they've been in contact with. So a lot of the time what happens is we identify a suspected offender. We find that they've got some wet genes in their house and our body's been found in a river for example and we go to our offender and we say why are your jeans wet why are your clothes wet and they say well I went fishing at the weekend so that's why my clothes or my trainers or whatever are soaking wet so then what we could do is we could compare the genes with the river that's our crime scene we could also compare them to the pond or the lake that I suspect might have said he's been fishing at. The diatoms between those different types of environments should be relatively distinct, so we could exclude one location compared to another based on uh, that analysis. Much of forensic science is controversial. Blood splatter analysis, microscopic hair comparisons, bite mark patterns, and even fingerprinting have all come under criticism over the last decade. 
John Oliver dedicated a whole episode of Last Week Tonight to bad forensic science techniques. Scott made sure to emphasize I shouldn't get too enthusiastic and said over and over again that diatoms should not be the only piece of evidence in a trial. To my understanding, if there is diatoms in your bone marrow, you died by drowning. But if there isn't, then you were killed outside of the water and then pushed in somehow. Yeah, it's not quite as clear cut as that because there are lots of different things that can affect diatom transportation around the body. So how quickly somebody's died during the drowning process. There's differences between people of different physiologies and things. If you're young and healthy and relatively able, I guess, then it will take much longer for you to succumb to drowning. Whereas if you're a little bit older, you've got a heart condition or you're not potentially as healthy as you could be, then often people in those capacities might drown a little bit quicker. So it all depends on the amount of time that the drowning process takes and how far around the body the diatoms can circulate as to whether or not you would find them in the bone marrow. So if, if drowning takes quite a while, then it's very, very feasible that the blood obviously will continue to circulate around the body. And then when that circulation stops, when breathing stops, diatoms would be deposited in the bone marrow. But if drowning happened very quickly, then you wouldn't always find them in the bone marrow. So we have to be really careful that we don't overstate our assumptions. I guess we have to be really cautious during our interpretation. But generally, yes, the absence of any diatoms in the internal tissues would suggest that somebody was deceased before entering the water and they might have been put there maliciously. There might be other pathological indications to suggest what the cause of death was if it wasn't attributed to drowning. So diatoms aren't magic. If you take anything away from this episode, please remember to treat all CSI episodes with skepticism. But also, if you're going to commit a crime, be sure to watch where you step. And maybe don't take out a giant life insurance policy on anyone you plan to bump off. Hello, thanks so much for listening today. Plant Crimes is written and produced by me, Ellen Earhart. If you like this episode, please subscribe and feel free to tell people about it through a review. That would be great. Um, Plant Crimes Art is by my friend Nikki, who you can find on her Instagram, N-I-K-K-I-D-U-O-N-G-A-R-T, all one word. Intro music is by Dachshund Zygmunt, and theme song is by APM. If you want to investigate a plant crime or you would like to advertise on the show, feel free to get in touch with me via email at plantcrimes at gmail.com. Um, I have been getting some really great emails lately, and I really, really appreciate it. I really enjoy talking to y'all. Yes, so I hope you have a great day and that you enjoyed the episode. Bye!